Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully you guys are getting ready for your weekend, getting ready to spend time with your family, your friends, watching the Winston-Salem Open, and getting ready for the U.S. Open as well. It's only a few days away. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today. We can obviously get into Kanye and Drake's beef and what those two people are going to do with one another. Uh, we can get into uh, Alex Jones's comments on Trump promoting the vaccines, Trump promoting the vaccines in his speech in, at Alabama on Saturday, as well as the lockdowns in Australia and just how idiotic it is and just how much of an example it is of government tyranny. But in terms of news within the tennis world, we can obviously get into Andy Murray versus Francis Tiafo at the Winston-Salem Open that happened yesterday, that transpired yesterday, as well as in terms of what I usually do every week, give you my weekly pick. But where we'll start for today will be quite simple. It will be about the U.S. Open because it's only a few days away, and I think it's a very important thing to at least discuss and talk about in full detail. So let's get right into it. So if you guys don't know, the U.S. Open is just around the corner. It's one of the most important majors of all. It's It shows the importance of, you know, catering yourself to a Western audience, to a Western demographic, and being more familiar with America. And if you're able to win and succeed, then you've become a household name for about two, three days a week, two weeks, or maybe even a career. You know, there are a lot of people who have had great careers based off their performance at the U.S. Open. And I think now is a time where people are really proactive and really interested in tennis because of the fact that it's been so such a long time since, you know, the U.S. Open had fans in the audience or had fans in attendance. And that does play a role in in terms of how players are receptive to it. You know, some people don't really like a U.S. Open audience, whereas others are more enjoyable with it and find it more refreshing to see a more uh, entertained crowd that may talk here and there, but overall is quite uh, quite respectful to the players, to certain players, to others not so much. But it sort of begs the question, like, who will win the U.S. Open? Right, and I and I ask that because there are a lot of tennis players that are really out and or have decided to withdraw from the U.S. Open. You have Nadal, Federer, and the reigning U.S. Open champion Dominic Team. Now, if you guys don't know, I released a video called "Can Dominic Team Win the U- Can Dominic Team Reclaim His U.S. Open Title?" I think I released it like two, three weeks ago. Go check it out if you haven't, uh, because that aged like milk. I did not expect Dominic Team to pull out of the U.S. Open, but all of them have decided to withdraw from the Grand Slam because of the fact of their injuries and uh, focuses on other issues and other things, uh, which, again, that's up to them. That's their decision. Uh, I, I understand where Nadal and Federer are coming from. Maybe not so much from Team. Uh, I still think Team needs to prove himself. Um, but... I still think that the people who are still favored to win the U.S. Open are currently in that exact same spot, right? And when I, when you see or when you hear about players that are probably going to like succeed, there are there are four people that come to mind, right? And everybody has the same four: Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Djokovic. And if I had to include a dark horse candidate, in in terms of like how like a person that you should keep an eye on, but not that many people are really talking about. I would definitely say Matteo Berrettini if he's scheduled to play, right? And when you, and I'm just going to go go down their accolades. 
when you see Daniil Medvedev, I mean, Daniil Medvedev really shocked everybody at the 2019 U.S. Open final. I still remember him, you know, having that that uh, post-match interview where he said, when you sleep tonight, to the audience, he was talking to the audience, where he said, when you sleep tonight, just know I won because of you. And I thought that was that took so much balls, so much balls. And he actually had the courage to really stand up to an audience that was not really that receptive to him and didn't really want him to succeed. Uh, maybe because he's a Russian, I'm not so sure. Maybe there's still America, Russia, Cold War, uh, PR relations, maybe a lot of liberals. So no, no offense to anybody that watches tennis, but the U.S. Open does attract a mostly liberal audience and liberals more so than conservatives are not really into Russia because of they think Russia hacked their elections. Maybe that's the reason why. I'm not so sure. Maybe it was still in the height of Russia Gate when that happened. But Medvedev reached the 2019 U.S. Open final, lost to Nadal, uh, obviously, uh, but he still had a really good showing. And not only that, but every ever since then, his hardcore play has been really great. And you know, a lot of people have been discussing that you know Medvedev is really good on the hard on the hardcore, just as much as Clay, if not more, if not better than Clay. And that's definitely a person that you have to really keep an eye on. You know, when you think of uh, Sasha Zverev, you know, he reached the 2020 U.S. Open final. And while he did have a pretty bad fifth set, I mean, that fifth set was, you know, ungod like it was pretty bad. It was it felt like he was a shell of himself against Dominic Thiem. Uh, but overall, those three, four sets before that, man, oh, man, was he great. I mean, he was dynamic. He was electric. Uh, he was able to really command his presence on the court. And you really saw that um, in the winners and the amount of percentages he had with his forehands and backhands and just how he was able to get it in play um and also the person that everybody's going to be in favor of uh Novak Djokovic Novak Djokovic is going for history I mean he's going for his fourth grand slam in a calendar year not many people have done that before obviously he's, he's lost to uh Sasha Zverev at the, at the Olympics so definitely keep an eye out, out for that because I do think that if Novak Djokovic isn't able to correct himself from that from that loss, then whenever they re, uh, do face off against one another, uh, that's something that you have to keep in the back of your mind because, frankly, he could lose. Or even though the chances are slim that Novak Djokovic will lose, I still think that you should be open to the possibility of it. Uh, so obviously Novak Djokovic going for history for his fourth Grand Slam, and obviously Matteo Berrettini coming from a Wimbledon finalist. He's he's a Wimbledon finalist, lost to Joker. Uh, but he also reached the Madrid Open final as well. And, you know, while he didn't have the best showing at the Madrid Open, he still had a pretty commendable showing. I mean, Madrid Open finalist, I mean, he was able to really uh, sink his te- teeth into Sasha Zverev. I think he got a set out of that match. So, again, those are the players that you should keep an eye out for. Obviously, Stefano Tsitsipas has been really great on clay this past year, and you really see that with his uh, success on the hard court as well. So, again, these are the four players for maybe Berrettini as well, that you should keep an eye out for. Daniil Medvedev, Sasha Zverev, Stefano Tsitsipas, Novak Djokovic, and of course, for the dark horse, it would be Matteo Berrettini. These are the players that you got to keep out for, got to keep an eye out for, uh, because as you see more and more stars sort of gradually withdraw, and I'm sure there'll be a little bit more, uh, maybe one or two more, that drop out in the next few days before the start of the U.S. Open. I do think it's important to at least discuss in in in, uh, in an accurate way as to what we can expect from the U.S. Open because this U.S. Open will be like no other U.S. Open because this is the first time in a while that there have been fans in attendance. And I do think that the fans add an aspect and a quality to the matches that weren't, weren't really there 
last year. And it's going to be interesting to see not only how they view the ATP side, but the WTA side. And, um, yeah, those are, the, those are the people that I believe had the best chance to win the U.S. Open. Daniil Medvedev, Sasha Zverev, Stefano Tsitsipas, Novak Djokovic, and maybe, maybe Matteo Berrettini. So, yeah, go keep an eye out for those players. Um, I'm interested to see what's going to happen in the Winston-Salem Open because a lot of these top players are not playing at the Winston-Salem Open. I think they take like a few, they take like a week off before they uh, get ready for the U.S. Open. So this is definitely the, this is definitely the Open where they like take a week off because, uh, again, it's happening at Wake Forest, happening down in North Carolina. So obviously they won't be able to make it to New York. It's, it's a little bit far away from North Carolina. So it's going to be interesting to see who's going to come out at the Winston-Salem Open because while it may not be the best litmus test to see who's going to be able to win, uh, I do think it gives you a pretty good indication as to um, players that we don't know that can uh, shock all, all the odds. And I think the, this tournament, as well as other tournaments that are lesser known, uh, really do showcase that. Uh, also, the Serbia Open as well, where uh, Aslan Karatsa was able to beat uh, Novak Djokovic in five sets, or three sets, I think. So yeah, that's definitely definitely something that you should keep an eye out for. You know, definitely watch the Winston-Salem Open, because while there are matches that are sluggish, uh, there are matches where you definitely see a good uh, blueprint. A good blueprint, you know. Barring a line from Jay-Z right there. Uh, in terms of matches that were pretty sluggish, I'll be honest with you, it was Francis Tiafu, uh versus Andy Murray. So if you guys didn't watch yesterday, I'm filming this on a Wednesday. This happened on a Tuesday. Francis Tiafu beat Andy Murray 7-6, 7-4 was the tiebreaker, 6-3 in straight sets. Um, I was able to watch this match and also watch the highlights just to be able to like keep up with it because... Again, as you probably know, Andy Murray inspired me to play tennis. Uh, the 2014 Wimbledon final, uh, 2013 actually, uh, was the was the main match that got me inspired to watch tennis and got me to pick up a racket and start playing. If it wasn't for that final, I don't think I would be able to talk, talk to you guys. I really don't because uh, Andy Murray is that person for me. Uh, a lot of people like Federer, Nadal. I see Djokovic in my comments all the time whenever I release a Djokovic GOAT video on my podcast clips channel. Uh, but for me, it's, it will always be Andy Murray. It will always be Andy Murray. And I've mirrored his play a lot. And I've tried to like mirror his play to the best of my ability, even though I know the best of my ability is not even a tenth or even 1% of what he can do. So again, Andy Murray means a lot to me. And I, I say that disclaimer because... Um, I, I'm going to be a little bit critical of Andy Murray uh, in this because he was just, a lot of times in this match, it just felt like Andy Murray was just wasting set points. You know, I got to come clean. I got to be honest. It felt like, especially in that first set, uh, it didn't feel like Andy Murray that we knew. It didn't feel like the Andy Murray that we've grown to be seeing. Uh, it felt like a more tired Andy Murray, a more older Andy Murray, a more injury-prone Andy Murray. And obviously that's the case for Andy Murray because of the fact that He's had growing injuries. He had a hip injury. Uh, I think he has like hip disc. He has like a disc in his hip. So obviously that sort of slows down his movement, his agility, his ability to, um, you know, be more aggressive with his ground strokes, I would say. Generate more power for his ground strokes. Um, you know, it just wasn't the any Murray that I've come to expect from him. Uh, and obviously when you saw Kyrgios uh, pull out and sell that lesser known ranked, uh, lesser known player, uh, step in, uh, I was like, okay, this is not good for Andy Murray. This is not good for Andy Murray. Nothing good can happen if he loses to this player 
Like, if he loses to this player, like, man, oh, man, put him out of the big four. Like, really put him out of the big four. Now, he did win, but it, I don't think it was good preparation for Francis Tiafo. Um, again, Francis Tiafo has had a pretty great 2021 year. I mean, make no mistake about it. He had an upside win against Sitsipas in the first round, bounced Sitsipas right out. Uh, actually was pretty vocal about how Sitsipas would not do well in Wimbledon. Uh, I've made a lot of pretty bad predictions in my life. That was not one of them. Uh, and so he's had a pretty good year. Andy Murray, while he's had an okay year, is not as great as 2016. I mean, that 2016 year uh, was just amazing. Uh, reaching the Australian Open final, losing to Joker. Reaching the French Open final, losing to Joker. But able to win again in Wimbledon against Milos Ronic. I mean, that 2016 year was impressive, was crazy. And uh, I knew there was something wrong with Andy Murray when he didn't have a good finish at Queen's Club, right? I feel like that was the tournament that we've come to expect Andy Murray to succeed. I mean, he has 10 or so, you know, finals victories at Queen's Club championships. And when I saw him not succeed at the caliber that I wanted him to succeed at, I'm like, okay, this is a little bit more injury-prone Andy Murray. This is a little bit more older Andy Murray. And uh, this is not the same person that we saw in 2013 or 2016, or even 2016, 2012, when it comes to um, his win at the Olympics. So again, very sad, very sad to see him lose. But um, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen for this person. You know, I mean, Andy Murray, as I've said before, inspire me. I mean, I, I really can't ima- I can't fathom how much I can't even like say into words like how much Andy Murray has really inspired me to to view the sport of tennis, to really pick up a racket. Um, just there's a certain times where he does have bad play, and you, I gotta be honest about it. You know, I gotta be honest when I see what what it is. You know, I see I see a person that isn't the same per isn't the same guy that we've grown to expect, and uh, that's definitely bad. Don't get me wrong, that's definitely bad. Um, but that just that's just the motions of tennis. You know, I think a lot of Federer's Federer fans are now starting to realize that as well. Uh, as you see, Federer shank a lot of his forehands, his ground strokes, and uh, not reach the same caliber uh, that we've seen him perform at uh, in the past two or three years. You know, in fact, I think that 2018 Wimbledon final was really the passing of the torch from Federer to Djokovic, uh, because when I saw that shank at the end of that match when he tried to return serve, I'm like, man, oh man, this is this is going to be pretty bad, isn't it, for for Roger Federer? Um, but yeah. Overall, he did, he did um he was able to beat you know that person on Sunday, which congrats to Andy Murray. But I don't think that's something to take home to the bank. I don't. I I, I feel like it would have been way more respectable if Nick Kyrgios was able to stick it out and face Andy Murray and be able to just play an inter- interesting match, an entertaining match because it definitely a lot of people that bought a ticket to see the Winston Salem Open watched it for Andy Murray versus Nick Kyrgios. I mean, that was the most sexiest, that was the sexiest match uh, of this tournament so far. And it's just a shame that it didn't happen. But um, yeah, just overall sad news. Just very, very sad news for uh, Andy Murray's loss. But overall, congrats to Francis Tiafu. Uh, I don't know what he's going to be able to do at the US Open. Um, but I'm interested, you know. I think Americans want a good American success story. And um, if it's... T- Tiafu, I think it's going to be really interesting because not that many people are that known of Francis Tiafu's play, but I think they'll be very interested in it um, because it's very it's in the same vein as like a Riley Opelka or a Dustin Brown or 
or or that that of like a, a person that takes like very sexy shots so yeah uh, I think that's all the tennis news that I have for today so uh, not that much not that much uh, not that many tennis topics for today obviously um, obviously I'm getting ready for the US Open uh, I've been going out doing some stand-up as well and uh, obviously there's some news with it outside of the tennis world that I think needs more explaining needs needs more talking about uh, let's just go with the elephant in the room or the kangaroo in the room if you're Australian uh, there have been Australia lockdowns for the past week or so and I'll give you the abridged version as to what has been transpiring in Australia because it's, it's crazy so apparently Australia has decided to go back into lockdown they announced this like the past week or so past two weeks and now they become very gung-ho about who can go outside and whatnot. Uh, apparently, like, some person on the telly, on the television, that's my way to endear to Australian people by saying telly instead of television. Hopefully it's working. But somebody on, on the television uh, was saying how, basically, if you go outside, you're going to go to the hospital. Now, obviously, it was taken out of context, but still, the fact that he was able to say that, I thought that was disgusting. And... As, you've, as we've seen in Australia, there have been a lot of lockdown protests, deservedly so, because this is disgusting. The Australia lockdowns highlight government tyranny, and this is just bad to see, really, really bad to see, because, I mean, apparently, like, somebody's, somebody's dog got killed. Like, I'm not making this stuff up. Like, somebody's dog went outside for fresh air. They got killed. You know, I, I'm seeing, like, people, like, getting turned down from hospital rooms because... They don't have COVID, but they have like heart conditions that they need to get checked out. And ICU beds are turning them away because they're focusing on COVID, which there's only been one positive case of COVID in the entire region for like the past 30 or so days. Like there's only been one positive case of COVID. And again, I understand like like where they're coming from, weirdly enough, because like they're saying that they don't have vaccines to administer. And, you know, the U.S. is very it's taking a lot of time in terms of hoarding all their vaccines. And Australia has been giving vaccines to America. I think it's more the former than the latter. Uh, but overall, this is just bad. You know, this is a highlights government tyranny. And I'm actually supportive of the lockdown protest because this has been an indictment on the work on the elite through the working class. And I feel like if you are a working class individual, you understand that these economical and psychological effects of the lockdowns have been way worse than the health effects of the law of of covid right when you talk about unemployment alcoholism drug overdoses suicides they have all skyrocketed during the pandemic during the lockdowns and i feel like a lot of people in power in positions of power don't really understand that regardless of where you are from australia uk america wherever you listen to this podcast india you have to understand that the economical and psychological risk have far uh, have been far more of a detriment than that of the health risk of COVID, and that's something that a lot of people in the science community don't realize. And I think that the lockdowns in Australia uh, are horrible, and I think it's disgusting. And you know, I see a lot of people, you know, Andrew Bogut, uh, Nick Kyrgios, you know, they they you know shake their head in disapproval of this because, if I'm going to be honest with you, this is really bad. And hopefully, this has not happened in America. I mean, we do have the vaccine. I don't really think we'll ever go back into lockdown. I keep going back and forth with this in America, but I think in America, we just value freedoms way too much uh, to ever go back to lockdown. With Australia, you gave your guns away in the 90s. You know, I, I know that's not an effective argument, but like, again, like Australia does not have the same freedoms as we do. So in America, I don't think we'll ever go back, back into lockdown. I think we'll have like vaccine mandates and whatnot. I think you have to enter, if you want to enter a private business, you're probably going to have a vaccine passport or, or the vaccine card with you. 
and probably have a mask with you. Maybe no social social distancing, social distancing, but I do think that you know having a vaccine card will be the new thing. Unfortunately, uh, as much as I dislike that, but you know, just going back into Australia lockdowns, I, I do think this is bad. And you know, I, I mean, I saw this like meme where because apparently the the police are like tear gassing protesters and whatnot in Australia, which we've come to expect with the police but apparently like the police i saw this meme where like a police officer is like beating the hell out of somebody uh for the lockdown covid lockdown protest and he's like there's like a caption above it saying i just want you to get it healthy it's like that's what's happening right now like yes you want people to stay inside for covid but if you're keep beating them up like they're, they're probably going to go to the hospital and probably hoard up a hospital bed or you're just going to turn them away like we've seen in the past so it's like Again, this is just horrible. It highlights government tyranny. It highlights totalitarianism. And I don't know where this will go for Australia. But my heart goes out to everybody in Australia. Uh, I don't think you're unemployable losers, like Tim Dillon would say. Uh, I love Tim Dillon, by the way. Uh, but yeah, it's just sad to see because, you know, Australia seems like a pretty good country. You know, you know, and it's been wrecked with a lot of bad things. You know, wildfires, um wildfires the whole nine yards the lockdowns obviously uh but yeah it's just bad it's just sad to see and uh if you're in australia right now uh maybe comment below as to uh what you've been experiencing and um how how i can help i mean because it's really bad you know i don't know what to do because it's a government you know all governments are evil but um yeah just comment below and like just tell me like what what we can do to like help you guys out. I don't, I don't know if I can send you like vaccines. I don't know if I have that power to do that. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's where I'll end off. The lockdowns in Australia are government tyranny and it's important that people at least acknowledge that. Uh, so yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like there will be certain States that may go under semi lockdown Maybe not lockdown, but they may have like they may take mask mandates a little too far. In my opinion, like I don't think masks are going anywhere anytime soon. I think people will be will be continue will continue to wear masks. I think older people will be wearing masks till the end of time. I feel like if you're in your seventies or eighties, I think you'll be wearing it until your deathbed. I really do. Um, but I feel like if you're my age or a little bit older, maybe in your thirties or forties, I think people will be wearing masks for the next two to three years. I do. And I think that if you're political, if you're like a Democrat or a liberal, I think you're you're in that description of wearing a mask until like 2022, 2023. You know, I really do. I think masks are not going to go any, anywhere anytime soon. And while it may not be mandated in certain places, I do think that there will be like guilt by association or guilt of, of people to wear masks despite them not really enjoying wearing masks. Because again, it does restrict breathing and uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that people don't want to discuss about masks that actually do hurt your health as well. I mean, masks do restrict your breathing. They do they do restrict your ability to have conversations with uh, with other people. Uh, if you're young, it's hard to read somebody's lips when they're you know reading in class uh, with fully masked. So there are a lot of times where like well, the masks are not as beneficial as people are saying. Um, I'm not saying in terms of a health way. I'm saying in terms of, like. A more of a in, a in a more like humane way i would say but yeah uh that, that's where i think i'll end off for that for uh for that uh okay uh let's get into donald trump promoting the vaccine so 
Donald Trump in his speech on Saturday said that people should take the vaccine because he took it. And again, I'm just going to read this excerpt from Vanity Fair. I'm sure a lot of other websites had it, but I just got this from Vanity Fair. It was the, one, it was the first search result, so just got it from there. Former President Donald Trump was briefly booed at a rally on Saturday in Alabama after telling his supporters they should get vaccinated against COVID-19. Trump, who held a rally in Coleman, about 50 miles north of Birmingham, touted to rally goers that the three vaccines, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson, were developed in under nine months during his presidency. He then suggested that they get the vaccine. In quotes, he says, You know what? I believe totally in your freedoms. You gotta do what you have to do, but I recommend take the vaccines. I did it. It's good, he said. And as a result, he got several boos. I thought he would get cheered by it, but apparently no. Um, listen, he got boos from the crowd, and he fluffed it up by saying it's your body, it's your choice, which is a very liberal thing to say. I feel like it's very interesting to see like the switch in, ter in terms of political ideas when it comes to liberals and conservatives. You know, conservatives are now saying it's your body, your choice. Uh, it's saying that, you know, you don't have to take it if you don't want to. It's completely up to you. Liberals, on the other, other hand, are like, it's pro-life. you got to take the vaccine. Every life matters. All lives matter. And it's just weird to see the dichotomy of both of these political parties and just how supportive they are of things that they would probably be against ideolo ideologically. Um, but again, you know, people are like, a lot of people are like, oh, if he's promoting the vaccines, why, why isn't it, or why aren't his fans supporting him? Again, like you have to realize that, you know, this is the reaction that you're going to get from him. You know, what, what reaction did you expect Trump to, what, what reaction did Trump expect to receive? from his audience. Again, in his time in office, he said that people should take hydroxychloroquine. He said he said that people should literally, you know, jab themselves with the bleach in their arms. Like remember that time in the summer where he said that hydroxychloroquine was a real was a real uh benefit or was a real uh sort of cure for covid? <laughs> like I don't I don't think people remember that. You know, like he said a lot of weird things when it came to COVID. You know, again, like, I'm not, you know, again, it's up to you as to whether or not you want to take the vaccines. You know, I don't think people should have to be forced to take the vaccines. I think it's up to you. Uh, I think you know your body way more than any physician, than any other person in the medical field. Uh, but you have to admit that, you know, suggesting hydroxychloroquine or worse, ivermectin uh, is uh, not good. You know, I remember like a month ago, I was very supportive of Brett Weinstein after reading some reports of ivermectin, it doesn't seem like it's effective. And it seems like a lot of people within the medical community. And again, like, I'm sure, like, if I get anybody, like, watching me, I'm sure I'm going to get, like, articles get sent to me. You can keep those articles. I'm not going to read it. Uh, but, yeah, apparently, like, ivermectin is not that effective as a, of, a rem of a remedy for COVID. And it, it's, inter it's interesting to see how Brett Weinstein is currently handling it. Uh, I didn't expect this to be a convo about Brett Weinstein because... Brett Weinstein, he's a dork. Uh, but Brent Weinstein is like really ha like throwing a hissy fit on his Dark Horse podcast with Hi Heather Hying. And yeah, it's weird to see like people uh, very, very supportive of, of Ivermectin because if it was like a month ago, I would completely understand. Uh, now, not so much. I, I don't really get the infatuation for it, um, mainly because. It's ivermectin, you know, and more importantly, it's Brett Weinstein, you know, and again, Brett Weinstein, Donald Trump, they all have like that same thing in common where they're just so corny. Uh, now, Donald Trump is funny, don't get me wrong. 
I mean, he said on that speech on in Alabama that he said, everything woke turns to shit. It truly does, which was hilarious. Uh, got Definitely got a pop from the audience. And that was hilarious because it is true. I mean, everything woke does turn to shit. I mean, there are certain programs that I'm seeing on television where I'm like, why is this on television? Other than getting people to, other than getting award show people to nominate it for a Golden Globe or something. You know, like, why are certain shows that are just so gung-ho about diversity have no understanding of the people they try and represent? You know, what is this? What is happening right now? Uh, So, yeah, that's just my opinion on the Donald Trump vaccine thing. And just Donald Trump's speech in Alabama as well. Because I remember that Tulsa speech that he had last year. Around, like, 4th of July weekend. I would say the week before or week after 4th of July. He went to Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was the same uh, speech that got... It was the same rally that got uh, Herbert Walker killed, I think his name is. Not Herbert Walker. I'm thinking about Herschel Walker. Uh, no, the the person that ran in 2012 for a Republican, as a, as a Republican, he's black. Uh, I forget his name. He owned Domino's. I forget his name. For some reason, I'm blanking on his name, but that was, that was the same uh, rally that got him that got him killed, essentially, that he died of because of COVID. And I just remember so many lines from that that were just so funny. It was just so funny to watch. Like Donald Trump is a really is a really funny comedian. Like say what you want about his policies, he's funny. Like he like he would wipe the floor with anybody. You know, he would wipe the floor with any of these comics that like routinely go to UCB and alt rooms in Brooklyn and Somerville. You know, I mean that that, that man is like fuck like hilarious. The man is like like if he was like if he went to like I don't know if he went to like the cellar. Man, oh man, like that would be funny. I I could see him promoting. I I could see him like doing like a comedy tour, you know. I could definitely see that in him, because he does have a fan base that still loves him and still thinks he won in twenty twenty. So who knows? Uh, all right, let's get into Alex Jones's comments on Trump promoting the vaccine. So I'm just getting this from on Yahoo News. Alex Jones went on his show, talked about Donald Trump and how he sold out. I think. Um, let me just pull up the quote because I think it's better if I just get it. So he says, BS, Trump, that's a lie. You're not stupid. Just two weeks ago, they said it was 65%. Now, then 40%. Saw a number put out about Pfizer shots, 30-something percent. Mr. Jones told his InfoWars audience on Monday. Because they just want to tell you it doesn't work, so you run and get the new damn shot. And then they'll tell you in six months that one doesn't work. It's called rope-a-dope. And he added, shame on you, Trump, seriously. He He goes on to say... Hey, if you don't have the good sense to save yourself in your political career, that's okay. At least you're going to get some good Republicans elected, and we like you. But my God, maybe you're not that bright. Maybe Trump's actually a dumba. <laughs> Alex Jones for you, man. Uh, the United States has seen more than 37.8 million COVID-19 cases. Million, I would say. 37.8 million. It's not meters. We don't do the metric system in America. Uh, COVID-19 cases during the pandemic, which more than... With more than 628,000 deaths, medical experts say that the overwhelming majority of people now dying from COVID-19 or, or being hospitalized are vaccinated or unvaccinated people. Let me repeat that last line. Medical experts say that the overwhelming majority of people now dying from COVID-19 or being hospitalized are unvaccinated people. All right, let me just get right into it. Uh, there are certain things that I agree with Alex Jones on. Or something that I'm, or certain certain things that I'm sympathetic of, you know. I believe in terms of conspiracy theories. I believe within. I believe 
him on JFK, I believe with him on 9-11, the deep state, you know, the globalist in charge, you know, obviously uh, they are a problem to working class people, to people that are just trying to make a living. But he does lose me on certain things, such as Sandy Hook and how he said Sandy Hook are mostly crisis actors. Um, now, again, I don't know about the efficacy of the vaccines. I took the vaccine. I took the Pfizer. I took the two jabs. I'm pretty sure there will be a booster in like six months. So I don't know about the vaccine efficacy. I feel no different. Um, it, it was a little bit bad for like the first shot. I would say like I got like a little bit sick on the first shot uh, for like the first day or so. But I got back to normal. And I took my vitamin D, took my vitamin C. Um, don't take zinc because I'm still a young boy. Like I can't, I can't be popping pills every day. I can't be popping like four or five pills every day. Like it's just a little bit weird. And when I say pills, I mean vitamins. Um, again, I'm a, I'm a growing person, uh, skinny. So obviously that matters a lot. Healthy. Um, again, I think that if you're healthy and you're doing well, I would still say, you know, it's up to you as to whether or not you want to take the vaccine. I took it. Um, I don't really agree with Alex Jones on this. Um, I just don't because at the end of the day, like Alex Jones, you got to realize that Donald Trump sold you guys out. I mean, for four years, he went to the Chamber of Commerce, went to Jared Kushner and went buddy buddy with Israel and Saudi Arabia. And he did no different than any other president before him. He was just another he had populist rhetoric, but he just he just uh, continued the same neoliberal and neoconservative policies that Obama did and George Bush did as well. Like, you have to realize that you were grifted, you were conned by a con artist, you know? So, and again, I'm not saying that, you know, Alex Jones is a con artist. Maybe he is. I think he's controlled opposition, in my opinion. I think there's been substantial proof as to, like, his connections with the FBI. Apparently, like, his father worked for the FBI and whatnot. So, obviously, like, you know, I think, I feel like AJ knows that he's getting grifted by a con artist, that he's that he was been lied to by four years. And, you know, I mean, Trump was a pretty effective con artist. You know I mean? He had four he had four years where people really thought that he was going to be the next guy, where he was going to be the changing of the guard, that he was going to be their version of Barack Obama. And in four years, all of those same people that were gung-ho supporters of him all decided to be QAnon people, all decided to uh, be a part of January 6th. And it just sucks to see, you know, people that you know grew up in a very similar background as i did uh be duped by a person that was clearly and blatantly trying to just find ways to funnel money into not only his campaign but into his wallet um so yeah that's donald trump for you a person that uh conned his way into the white house by getting working class people to vote for him and really speaking to the needs of working class people but he just failed to deliver and he failed to deliver because he really, he literally outsourced everything that he was going to do to Jared Kushner and to the Chamber of Commerce, to Steve Mnuchin, to John Bolton, to Mike Pompeo and all these war hawks and uh, bank, bank cartel buddies that have currently made our system unfunctional. So, yeah, that is that is uh, that is the boy for you. That is that is Alex Jones and that is Donald Trump. Again, I want to say, like, Alex Jones is funny. Like, he is a very entertaining individual. Like, I'll watch him on Rogan. As long as you understand that Alex Jones is entertainment, that's all you got to know about. Uh, I loved watching him on Flagrant 2. I loved watching him on Kill Tony. Alex Jones is a funny individual. And, you know, there's certain things where he's right. You know, I mean, I, I think he's right about the JFK assassination. I think it's very important that we get to the bottom of it. 
uh, very right about 9-11. Like, why did Dick Cheney not testify alone? Why did he need George Bush to testify with him? What happened to the plane that flew through the Pentagon? What happened to the $2.3 trillion that went missing on September 10th? Now, all these are valid questions. You know, why are the families still fighting the U.S. government as to what truly transpired on 9-11? You know, why is... Why were most of the people on the plane that flew through the Twin Towers Saudis? It was just Osama bin Laden, maybe like one other Iraqi or Afghani, and then mostly Saudi Arabian people. Um, you know, there are a lot of questions about 9-11. You know, the deep state is uh, very true. You know, why is Hillary Clinton a person that is so loved by the establishment? You know, why? You know, what happened with that? You know, I think a lot of these questions remain to be answered, you know. What's truly happening with Nancy Pelosi? Why is she still in office since like the 1970s, 1980s? Why are these people that, you know, look like literal, like literal ghouls representing, representing the people that, you know, have remained to be like understood? You know, like, again, he has a lot of, you know, right qualms and right questions. Um, but there are certain things where I just don't really understand, you know, um, but again, he's funny, and I think that's a very important thing. And I feel like everybody who's and uh, who likes um, Alex Jones, I would say, uh, understands that as well. I don't think anybody really takes him seriously. They just view him as uh, fodder, as entertainment. And uh, that info war, info war show, ugh, that info war show is being is becoming more and more hilarious by the day, because man, oh man, like. Alex Jones is going through like a downward spiral. Like he had to mortgage his home. He's now a raging alcoholic. He weighs like nearly nearly 200 pounds, 250 pounds. Uh, he believes that federal agents are onto him, which is kind of hilarious. It's like that Spider-Man meme where like both of the Spider-Man are like pointing at each other. Uh, <laughs> and apparently he said in like his uh, like in a show of his that he doesn't have enough money to pay for his employees or pay for the studio and how he regrets like, he basically, like, talks to Jesus Christ in the show, and he says, like, how he regrets, you know, going down this path. Like, it's, it's like, it's sad, but it's hilarious to watch as well. You know, whenever you see train wrecks happen in real time, uh, you just got to, like, look at the absurdity of it and just, like, understand how entertaining it is. Because uh, it truly is, you know. It, it, like, it was, like, for the past, like, two, like, two or three months ago, this was happening. I'm not so sure what's happening now. Maybe he's still going down that path. Uh, but that's what I remember like two or three months ago, which was him talking about it each and every day. Um, so hopefully it gets better. You know, I, I want to see him do better. Lay off the booze, Alex Jones, you know, and uh, I want to see you healthy. You know, no more meat, no more beef, only veggies and salads for the rest of the 2021 year. Can we do that, Alex Jones? AJ, let's do it. All righty then. Um... All right, let's talk about some Kanye and Drake beef. So, okay, apparently Kanye and Drake are going after each other. Uh, Drake sent in a song uh, off of Trippy Red's new album. Some lyrics that were against Kanye West. Uh, he says, all these fools I'm beefing that I barely know. Uh, burning, Burned out, let it go. Yay ain't changing shit. For me, it's set in stone. Oh my God, he put him in a chokehold. No, he didn't say that, but... Uh, yeah, that's what uh, Drake said about Kanye. Kanye responded by putting him in a text ex exchange with Pusha T and responded with a Joker picture. This transpired on Saturday, the day after he found out about uh, the 
the dis. And then Kanye then went further and posted Drake's address on Instagram like around Sunday night. Uh, and then Drake responded with him laughing in a car. I think this is hilarious. I think it's hilarious that we have two grown men writing poetry to one another. I, I feel like, I know like a lot of rappers try and go hard. You know, you see Jay-Z and Nas, you see MGK and Eminem, you see... Uh, NWA and Eazy-E and Biggie, Tupac, you know, you see all these beefs, but at the end of the day, it's all really, like, gay, like, like it's all gay, like, it's just grown men writing poetry to one another, you know, like, I think that's one of the things that uh, people fail to address, like, they could go all hard and be like, oh, man, you know, you know, and I know, like, one of, like, one of the lyrics from Nas's Ether was saying, like, he, he was basically saying, Rockefeller died of AIDS, that was the end of his chapter, and that's the guy y'all chose to name your company after. And it's like, come on, Nas. Like, you're writing poetry to Jay-Z. Like, and, like, let's be honest here. Like, it's pretty, it's not the straightest thing in the world. I'm just saying that, you know. So, it's interesting. You know, for me, I don't know who I'm going to side with. I think I want to side with Kanye because he just has more hits than Drake, in my opinion. And that run between, like, 808s and Heartbreaks to Life of Pablo. Or, like, 808s and Heartbreaks to... I would say Kid See Ghost, that 10-year run, amazing. Like, the promotion of his albums are awesome. I mean, he's pr- currently promoting his album at Soldier's Field uh, in Chicago. I mean, his promotions are amazing. The album rollout is amazing. The albums themselves are great. I think it's more cohesive than, say, Drake's. I mean, Drake had, like, a playlist that... And don't get me wrong, I like Passion Fruit from that playlist. I mean, Passion Fruit is, like, his best song, in my opinion. I can listen to that each and every day. It never gets old. Um... But I feel like Kanye does have better hits than Drake. Uh, so for that reason, that reason alone, I'm going to be siding with Kanye. Uh, apparently, I was uh, hearing like an Andrew Schultz interview that he did with uh, Brendan Schaub around like yesterday. Uh, that you, you can watch. Brendan Schaub uh, saved the three children. Now he says it's two children. It's getting a little bit dicey, a little bit dicey here and there. Uh, but uh, Andrew Schultz and Brendan Schaub were basically talking about how like Kanye is mentally ill and how he needs to be mentally ill and be off his meds to be creative and to be artistic. Uh, not autistic, but artistic. And um, yeah, I mean, it definitely stinks, you know, uh, but it definitely does feel like he's going through a manic episode right now. And when you see him on Instagram uh, doing this, it's definitely a cause of concern and uh, hopefully uh, he's he's getting better. Other than... Uh, Either that or he's, uh, you know, promoting his album and he wants to compete with Drake and do that 50 Cent Kanye battle that happened with Curtis in graduation in 2007. Either It's probably more the latter than the former. Uh, but if I had to guess, uh, maybe that's the more clear reason as to why he's doing this. You know, um, but again, like, I'm sure they're going to get really good album sales out of it, you know, because usually like. Both of them will receive a listen by people, by fans, because they want to hear the beef between the two of them. You know, whether it's real, whether it's fake, I don't know. I mean, there have been some lines that Drake has said to Kanye, right? Like that uh, Astro World rap song that he released with Travis Scott, where he said he like was trying to like screw over like Kim or something. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, that's like. Yeah, again, like, it's weird to, like, see me myself, like, 
really think about this beef because it's just two rich millionaires, billionaires going after one another. Uh, and I, I honestly feel like nothing productive has uh, come out of this conversation. Uh, but that's what's happening uh, with Kanye and Drake. Uh, yeah, it's it's a very interesting thing to see. Again, like, I mean, I mean, let's just go like album by album. Like, My Beautiful, I mean, I don't think any album by Drake can ever hold a candle to My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. I mean, every song in that was amazing. Dark Fantasy, Gorgeous, Power, All the Lights. I mean, no Drake album can ever, like, match that. And, like, I missed, like, the blog rap era, like I did. Like, I was only, like, eight or nine. I don't think I was old enough to listen to, like, Drake. But I remember, like, I still remember, like, in 2010, 2011, where, like, Drake was the talk of the town. Like, people were, like, really into Drake. Uh, and they still are. Like, and they, I mean, I'm, I'm acting as if he's, like, past his prime. No, he's still doing well. Um, but I still remember, like, every, like, college football highlight video had a Drake song in it. Like, every college football. That's how, like, infamous, or not infamous, but that, that's how ubiquitous Drake was with, like, this the college scene. Like, it was, like, Barstool Sports and Drake. And maybe T-Pain. Like, in terms of, like, and maybe Asher Roth as well. Like, there was, like, a good two to three years like around like 2009 to 2011 where those were like the four biggest acts in like college. It was like Drake, T-Pain, uh, Total Blackout Tour, uh, and uh, Asher Roth, you know, seeing that party last night was awfully crazy. I, I, I stayed up so late, you know. So like that was like, that, that was like a good two to three year run of just that. Um, which goes to show you how, uh, how, how, Efton the head millennials are, you know, because if that's their college experience, that's a pretty bad college experience. Not gonna lie. If Asher, if you're still listening to Asher Roth in 2021, you're damaged. You're very, very damaged. And I pray for your mental health and for your physical health and for your emotional well-being because you should not be listening to that in 2021. Man, oh man. I, I, with all due respect to Asher Roth, you know, he is the goat of white rappers. I mean, without him, there would be no little dicky, you know. So. All right, uh, let's get into uh, my weekly pick. So every week I recommend a film, a book, an album that I really enjoyed that I think you guys would enjoy as well. And for this week's weekly pick, it will be none other than Mike White's White Lotus. So if you guys don't know, uh, Mike White released this six-episode miniseries, I would say limited series. Don't know if there will be a season two. doesn't seem like it. Uh, I would say limited series on HBO uh, and I'll just give you a little bit of a rundown as to what it is. It's a, it's a show about a newlywed couple, a family of two, and a batshit crazy woman who go to this White Lotus resort in Hawaii and hijinks ensues. It is crazy. It is weird, I would say. Uh, but it's an amazing show. And I'm not going to spoil anything because, again, no spoilers here. I, I think it's important that you really l- watch this uh, show. But the last episode is insane. It, it's one of the... It's like... I can't even like put into words as to the emotions you go through when you're watching this. You know, it, it's crazy. And again, like it's a great show about class in America and how those in power and those who are affluent have this sort of fake caring mentality of 
class and how they use it to like further their mo and their prerogative and how those and who are rich have no regard or sort of have this fake sympathy for working class people you know you see this with olivia you know the character played by Cindy sweeney also with rachel uh played by alexandra dario uh rachel's husband who is like this stuck-up pretentious individual that is asking armand who is the armand is basically the person that's like this eccentric not eccentric but this uh this sort of bombastic gay uh, hotel manager and how like Rachel's husband is very mad that like he's not getting the proper treatment and how he's not getting certain things and not getting certain rooms booked. Um, so yeah, it's, it's rich people problems, but it's done in a way that's tasteful and a critique of that, which I think is very important. Uh, it's, uh, I'm not going to say it's like American Cycle because I think American Cycle is like this, like it's like the best movie of ever of all time in my opinion, and it's very hard for me to put anything in the same league as American Psycho, but it is a film that details about race and if uh, class I, I should say, a little bit of race as well. But if you like those movies, then you'll definitely like the show. Um, it, it's, it's great, and the the most dislikable woman in this show is Olivia's friend. I don't know her name. I really don't. But that last episode, I wanted to really like. I don't. I don't agree with punching women in the face. I don't. Like, I want to be aware of that. You know, obviously, I've been raised by you know a mother who taught me the right and wrong. Uh, but I, I, that last episode is sad, and I really felt like she should at least be killed at the end of it because she was horrible. Uh, and yeah, I, I just want to say that. So again, last episode, crazy for the first episode is kind of bad. I would say it's not that enjoyable, not that uh, interesting, but it does get better as the episodes go on. And, um, yeah, I, apparently I read this, apparently like this show was inspired by the Red Scare podcast, uh, hosted by Anna Hotchin and Dasha Nakrasova. So again, it's, it's a, it's a good podcast again, just fair warning here. Uh, it is two women talking, so just a little bit of a of a caution for you before you guys listen to the podcast. Uh, but it's a pretty good podcast. Uh, it's enjoyable. Uh, it's a little bit tough to listen to it in its entirety, so I listen to like five to ten minutes of it, and I'm like, okay, what am I doing? Because uh, they do have like sort of mundane ways of like articulating their thoughts. Um, but overall, it's good. Uh yeah, it's apparently that's what the show was inspired by. Uh, so yeah, just wanted to give you a little bit of heads up. Mike White's White Lotus, good show. Go check it out on HBO right now, on HBO Now, HBO Max, uh, wherever you get your HBO products from. So yeah, all right, that's all the time I have for today. Thank you guys. Thank you guys so much for watching. Make sure you like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Also, if you're listening to it on iTunes, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. As well as if you're on WhatsApp, make sure you spread the word on WhatsApp as well. So guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I will be talking about the Winston-Salem Open and also be giving you a little bit more predictions as to what we can expect from the U.S. Open. And hopefully there are some matches that are that will be played on Sunday. But I don't think so. I think it's going to be on Monday. Uh, so guys... Check out for that. You know, I don't know if I will be able to do the quarterfinal recaps or the semifinal recaps, as I, as you probably saw from Wimbledon. Uh, go check it out on my podcast clips channel. But it's still something that I'm, I'm thinking about for the U.S. Open. Uh, so yeah, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Tuesday. All right, guys, peace.
see y'all.